Okay, so I saw a post in one of my discords that was, you're given $100 million, but you need to survive in the last video game you played oh, for no. a month. Oh, no. As an example, my friend was playing Dark Souls, so that wouldn't be fun. <laughs> what about you guys? I've been playing a lot of Minecraft, so I think I could do it for a month. Um, I've been playing a lot of Minecraft, too, but the most recent game I played was Sea of Thieves, and I don't think that's going to go well for me. No. A lot of seasickness. Lots of seasickness and, you know... Cannonballs to the face. Cannonballs to the face. And and grog. So much grog. For me, it was Final Fantasy fourteen. so I think I'd be okay, especially <laughs> as the Warrior of Light. Oh, yeah, yeah. But if you're not the Warrior of Light, I just hide in a city. Yeah, yeah, just, just go... Uh, Go mine potatoes or yeah, whatever. Go, yeah, just go hope that the planet doesn't fall on you. Yeah. It's a Mimic, the roundtable Dungeons & Dragons discussion podcast, where you never know what you're going to get. Welcome to another episode in our conversation on Dungeons & Dragons lore. I'm Dan, and with me today are James and Brad, and this episode is called The Sword Coast, The Edge of Adventure. Did like a sword's edge? Uh-huh. Did you come up with that yourself? No, this one was still Adam. Okay, so, so that's why it's funny. Yeah. Wow. Whoa. <laughs> that was mean. I feel I, bad. I, I am two sentences in and we're already starting, Brad. Okay? All right. Cool. I should feel a little bad about that you one. You don't. Anyways, we are we have previously covered all sorts of locations in D&D 5e, including Waterdeep, Baldur's Gate, Icewind Dale, and Chult, Barovia, Ravenloft, and the Shadowfell, the Feywild, and the Astral Sea, the Underdark and the Lower Plains, and even Eberron, Ravnica, and Theros for all you MTG fans. Um, you can find all of these episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and dozens of other podcast apps, or you could jump over to the YouTube and dig into the entire playlist on D&D lore that we've built there. This episode of the It's Amendment podcast, however, is going to bring us back to the Forgotten Realms, thankfully, and the continent of Toril's hot pot of adventure... That is the Sword Coast on Faerun. In what is Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition's primary playground, this panel of Dungeon Masters here will seek to better understand the Sword Coast, its bright lights of civilization, and what to do if your party's adventures bring you to into the wilds of the Sword Coast. But before we jump into it, I want to ask you guys, before the research for this episode... What was your experience with the Sword Coast? Like, how well do you guys know Western Faerun? I know Undermount of the Mad Mage, and that's about it. Yeah. Did you ever read any of the Dritz books? No. No? I haven't gotten into Dritz, but I know enough 5th edition. I've spent a fair bit of time looking at the Sword Coast specifically, given the fact that a lot of the early stuff kind of centers around it. Yeah. Um, And playing with new players and doing my own campaign running. I tried to center it in somewhere that actually had some lore to it, so I didn't have to completely world build. So I've spent a fair bit of time reading up on Sword Coast. You and I actually sat down, and I we've talked about this on the podcast a bunch of times. We sat down to start a group with a lot of our friends from church um, that I added Adam to as a wild card. And ended up making Adam the big bad evil guy. and He uh, murdered half the party. He murdered half the party. And I went, well, that that was fun. Brad, here's the rest of the campaign. Bye. I killed your character. Now you can be DM. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then Adam and I left the group and forced them to continue. Um, Not a great move on my part. I've apologized a bunch of times. I don't even feel guilt about it anymore. We're moving on. The thing about that campaign, though, was it was based out of a place called Clearcut, which was... 
a common name I'd used in yeah. plenty of things, but I said it just outside of uh, Baldur's the, Gate. No, no, sorry, not Baldur's Gate. Um, Neverwinter. Um, Never, was it out of Neverwinter? Yes, just outside right. of Neverwinter. Yes, it was. Yeah, in 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 the High Wood or whatever it's yeah. called there. Yeah. So, um, and then I immediately tried to destroy the world with dragon, like dragon god eggs falling from the sky. Fair. So yeah. Um, Imagine if Tiamat laid an egg. That was about the size of the egg. Yeah, and then I was like, okay, guys, go go figure this out. And they didn't even get to kill one dragon. Nope. No. They didn't even get to kill Adam. I Yeah, well, yet. Yet. I mean, he hasn't been on the podcast in a while, so we don't know we'll exactly what's going We'll get him next time. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so knowing that, let's see if we can add some depth of the greater Storm Coast region of Faerun for all the DMs and players out there who want to explore beyond the bonds of the structured adventure paths to explore the Sword Coast. What that means, by the way, is that we will not be covering some of the bright spots of culture and civilization across the Wild Coast. Waterdeep, Baldur's Gate, Icewind Dale, Candlekeep, these locations are all focuses of full adventure paths or collections of adventure paths and because of that we've either already covered them or have intentions to do some deeper dives on them in the future should wizards deem these locations good spots for new adventure paths what we are mainly talking about here will be the greater region of the sword coast that also means that we're stopping at the sword coast if you want to check out the rest of Faerun or Karatur or Zakara or the lands past Evermeet beyond the trackless sea well, you'll have to wait for a future, i.e. the next lore episode, i.e. the next episode in our lore series. Now, we broke it down this way because so many of the published materials take place in that narrow stretch of land between Am and the Sea of Moving Ice. They have a far more narrow focus for where those adventures take place. Also, it should be noted that there are nuggets of information about the rest of the Sword Coast everywhere throughout most of the published material, but the lion's share of the info provided can be found in the Sword Coast Adventures Guide or, as Terry has said, will thoroughly confuse our UK listeners, Skag. Means like heroin, I think, is what he I said. I think he said, yeah, yeah, something like that. Okay. Yeah. I was on that episode. Yeah. Now, as I said before, the Sword Coast is a narrow stretch of land on the western shore of Faerun, which itself is a continent on the planet of Toro. It is a loosely governed collection of city-states that runs from just south of the spine of the world, which is the mountain range that protects Faerun from the bitter colds of the Icewind Dale and all the crazy locked-up snow gods that call it home, down to Am, a highly competitive mercantile country where magic is straight-up outlawed. To the east, Cormir and the shifting sands of Anarok keep the wild lands of the Sword Coast bordered in. Now, this isn't exactly correct, as the nature of the Sword Coast being a loose collection of city-states has led to a lot of disagreement in where the borders specifically are. So, we'll just have to make do with the rough geological area mentioned, okay? Now, within the bounds of Am, the Spine of the World, and Anorak, the, the geography of the Sword Coast mimics and fits within the bounds of typical fantasy bullshit. Think the Middle Ages of Europe. The entire run is coastal, and there are numerous bodies of water, large forests, huge swaths of flowing foothills, and plains. The weather for the region is typical for that as well, erring on the side of more wet and dreary than bright and sunny. If, like us, you live in the Pacific Northwest or the UK, you have a pretty decent idea on how the weather is going to behave at any given point along the coast. If you don't, the weather in twilight. Yeah, right. 
This establishes the feel of a wild, untamed land with bright pockets of heavily defended civilization. Small villages, homlets, and towns tend to have a high turnover rate as the hosts of goblinoids, ambitious dragons, cannibalistic lizard folk, and rampaging hordes of giants, orcs, barbarians, and the like keep the Sword Coast a frontier land rife with danger. Now, there is some law and order to the Sword Coast. Outside of the majority of dwarven holds and some island nations, these city-states have banded together to rule their lands and discuss issues that affect all within the region, namely the groups like the Zentarum and the Shadow Thieves of Am, all threaten kind of the status quo of the Sword Coast. Now, this collection of representatives from um, several major cities is called the Lord's Alliance and is made up of 10 powerful former adventurers, politicians, and self-appointed kings. Now, James, I believe you have some information into who the members of the Lord's Alliance are. Yes, and prepare me to butcher every single name. Yeah, every single name is fantasy bullshit. We yeah. should almost have a disclaimer in the like intro blurb that's, hey, a lot of these words are made up. Someone smacked their face against a keyboard and went, hey, that looks elven. So, yeah. Yeah. So there's Lyriel Silverhand. She's a lord, op- the open lord of Waterdeep. Yeah. Formerly known as the Lady Mage of Waterdeep. Later came to rule the kingdom called Stornander, where she held the title Witch Queen of the North. There's Thuren Thunderspell Hornblade, was a high mage of City of Silvermoon. Grand Duke Ulder Ravenguard. Who you will know if you have played um, Descent into Avernus, because he is with... Baldur's Gate, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he was a lifelong soldier of the Flaming Fist before yeah. he became the Grand Commander. Yeah. It should also be known that uh, the first one you mentioned there, uh, she's the open lord of Waterdeep. Yes. Waterdeep is ruled by like a shadow council of lords. And there is one that is like forced into the open as a representative of them. So she holds like the position of power in Waterdeep. The face. Yeah, she is the face of the Lords of Waterdeep, which means there is a lot of like intrigue and backstabbing that might that she has to constantly battle down. And for all reports, she's a pretty decent person. So anyway, so keep going. Then there's Morwen Daggerford. She was the sister of the Duke of Daggerford and then later became the Duchess herself. There is Salen Rammer. Uh, was the nominal ruler of Marabar and key member of the Lord's Alliance. Yeah, Mirabar is like one of the biggest dwarven strongholds in the area. We'll get into it in a second, but um, it is one of the wealthiest places in all of the Sword Coast. So she's got some money back in her. Notable as well that it's one of the few dwarven strongholds that's actually part of the Alliance, right? The dwarves tend to kind of sit... Uh, I mean, yes and no. Uh, in history of the Forgotten Realms, that's certainly true. Yeah. Um, but more recently, they uh, a lot and of the Dwarven Strongholds, are they take part in them. Fifth modern. edition has kind of tried to pull that more in line, right? Yeah. I think yeah. older editions, they kind of had the They're, Dwarves as the outcasts. Not outcasts, but kind of... Racial tensions yes. in D&D pre-5e was a uh, writing device right yes. like it, it was one of those things that 
Like it all, drove the story. It drove the story, and it's there, an easy way to drive a story that everyone understands. Yeah, and and thankfully we're moving beyond that to more intriguing uh, storylines. They could have just changed it to species instead of race, and it would have cleared up ninety percent of the issues. You're not wrong. <laughs> Call them species. People are okay hating another species without taking the racism into it. Yeah, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> more people we're going to talk about is Duel. Harpel of Long, Long Saddle Duel was the husband of Penelope Harpel and the family spokesman. Yeah, the Harpels are, um, they are the family that uh, runs all of uh, Long, Sa- uh, Long Saddle? Long yes, Saddle. That rule all of Long Saddle. So um, there's a lot of interesting backstory to them specifically. And then there's... Dag Nabbit, Waybeard. Waybeard, I like Waybread better. Yeah, <laughs> Dag Nabbit, Waybeard, Queen of Mithril Hall. Dag Nabbit served as general under the King Quernand, Cornerad, Conrad. How? I should learn to read. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody, fantasy names are bullshit. So, um, Dag Nabbit is the daughter of Dag Nabbit. Who is again the son of Dag uh, Dagna, who is one of the previous like friends of the king of Mithril yeah. Hall? Because this is where we're at yeah. Mithril yes, Hall, right? Yes, Mithril Hall. Yeah. Um, and there's a huge, interesting uh, storyline revolving Mithril Hall, which is massively important if you read R.A. Salvatore, um, <laughs> who is one of the contributing authors for a lot of the lore here. Sounds like someone wanted to cut out early on a Friday. Kind of, right? Like, what are we going to name this guy? Fucking I dag nabbit. Dag nabbit. Oh! There we go. Whole family line. Done. (laughs) Then next we have Daruna Izmir was a member of the Izmir family and Lord of Alfiel. Nestera Ruthal was a ruler of Yatar and a member of the Lord's Alliance during the 15th century. They were accused of murdering their former lover and was later cleared of the charges. So these 10 leaders, which you could see in Skag, um, I mean, they've, they're all fantasy bullshit, but they are, the thing we want to note here, they're all of varying races and um, creeds and beliefs. Like some of them are highly religious. Others are fairly a-religious and just mercantile in origin, right? So... Um, you see these guys and, uh, they all are just these like little, my, uh, microcosm snapshots of their cities. Okay. So, um, once again, the list of the Lord's Alliance, which is very important are, is, uh, Lairol Silverhand, Dagult Never Ember, who is the leader of Neverwinter, Taren Hornblade, Older Ravenguard, Morwen Daggerford, Selen Rammer, Dowell Harpel, Dagnabbit Waybeard. Lord Downer Ilzimmer and Nestra Ruthiel um, of Yartar. Okay. Now we see names Waterdeep, Neverwinter, Silvery Moon. A lot of these are going to sound uh, pretty familiar. But one thing about the uh, Lord's Alliance I do want to mention is that they keep a rough rule of law and organization to the Western Heartlands, which is another name for the Sword Coast. So, since the lands are largely wild, let's look at some of these bright spots of civilization specifically. As a guide, I'm using the cities here of the Lord's Alliance, plus of other, plus a couple others for fun flavor. 
keep in mind, Waterdeep, Baldur's Gate, Candlekeep, these have been covered already in depth. So check out those episodes for deep dives into those locales. Also, the next biggest city in that list is the infamous or famous Neverwinter, which we will cover as a semi-deep dive in a minute. Now, if you're a fan of the realms and have been paying some modicum of attention, the names of Mirabar, Daggerford, Silvery Moon, and Mithril Hall will sound familiar. These are all locations within the Sword Coast and have had novels committed to them. Um, there are lords who serve uh, the other cities of Longsaddle, Amphail, and Yartar, while the cities of Luskin, Baragost, and Sundabar add some unique flavors of their own. If you're wanting to jump in say from Dungeon of the Mad Mage into an aquatic campaign, traveling the many islands or even to the Moonshay Islands itself is also an option. So let's break all of these down. Firstly, Mirabar is primarily a dwarven citadel far to the north end of the Sword Coast, near the spine of the world. It's a very wealthy, heavily dwarven city, and the dwarves of Mirabar have dug up into many rich veins of various practical metals. Ruled by both a hereditary Marchion, which is basically a duke and the representative on the Lord's Alliance, as well as an elected assembly called the Council of Sparkling Stones, which function as little more than a group of foremen with fancy titles. The city itself resembles Iron Forge from WoW, if you've played it, with a large central hall filled with forges, an undercity, which functions as the main hub of all of the spidering mine tunnels under the city itself. Now, it should be known that the Dwarves of Mirabar are stringently lawful. Maps of the mines are strictly forbidden to be made, and the diligent armed forces called the Axe of Mirabar police and enforce the laws of the town. Another division of the Axe is called the Shadow District, which is one of the first mentions of a counterintelligence force I've ever seen in 5e, and now I have a uh, spy campaign based out of like dwarven tunnels in my now, mind. Does that make them good or bad? Because they've been mentioned, they're not that good of an intelligence agency. Well, they are they are specifically a counterintelligence agency. Okay. So I would say they're really good at their they're job. They're good at what they do. Yeah. Next on this list is Daggerford, which is relatively like it, it which is a relatively small farming town, which I found weird that they have a member of the Lord's Alliance until I kept reading. It is of some import as it is one of the only other major stop-offs to the north outside of Waterdeep itself. It was rebuilt by the Iron Eater clan of dwarves, and the central core of Daggerford is a sparsely populated uh, walled city. Most of the population of the small town lives outside the walls in farms, small hamlets, and estates. Now, even with that in mind, there is a strong regional pride in the town, despite the more spread-out nature of its population leaving members of Daggerford to be resilient and have an inflated sense of self-importance. Being on the shores of the Delimbier River, they act as a bit of a mercantile gateway of sorts, being far more open to the stuff that people want to keep out of the watchful eye of Waterdeep. So now it makes sense why Daggerford's there. Also, it should be noted that Daggerford is a bit of a strategic point, and the people are known as being tough and resilient, especially in times of war. And it's very much a... Uh, they have you know, 60 people in the walls and they're facing a force of a thousand and somehow come out the victors, right? Like they do pretty good. Well, let's move from Podunk Daggerford to Bright Silvery Moon. Now this is 
uh, both a gem of the North and also the quote-unquote the gem of the North and also the hub of elven culture on the Sword Coast. It mimics the trait of the legendary metropolis of Mithdranor and is a massive hub of magic. Silvery Moon is nested in a confederacy of marshlands called the Silver Marshes. It is ruled by one of the most powerful beings in all of Faerun, the chosen of Mistra, High Lady Elistral Silverhand. She has ruled the, the city for centuries, led it through the devastating spell plague, and into the reemergence of the goddess Mistra and the Mistral, an ancient artifact that can connect directly to the weave, allowing the modifications of the basic rules of magic. The Mistral is one of the Mistral is one of many, however, and the one in Silvery Moon is specifically guarding against evil dragons. Other evil things that would seek to harm the way of life in Silvery Moon must contend with the policing forces of the Knights in Silver and the Spell Guard. The former is a noble, is a noble and chivalrous army of elven paladins, bards, and other such heroes. The Spell Guard was formed as a protectorate of Illustrial herself before growing to be a small force uh, uh, for Silvery Moon. 32 members exist for the Spell Guard, and each is an Archmage and high-level adventurer in their own right. Now, Mithril Hall, gotta get to it. It is another and possibly one of the most famous and important of all of the Dwarven strongholds in the Sword Coast. Also to the north, near the spine of the world, Mithril Hall has been the on-again, off-again home to the Battlehammer clan of Dwarves for centuries. Sitting under Fourth Peak in the Frost Hills, which is part of the spine of the world, Mithril Hall got its name for the export it produced and made it wealthy. Mithril. The ultra-lightweight metal was mined, forged, and crafted by the dwarves of Mithril Hall. Because of this, Durgar, Drow, and Orcs have all targeted the Hall not just for its wealth, but also for tactical importance as one of the many strongholds along the spine of the world. It is damn close to the entrance to Men uh, Menzo Baranzan, which is like the biggest of the big Drow cities. Okay. One awesome note about Mithril Hall that I found out was that the entrance to the hall itself is a work of patience. A massive maze full of dead ends and traps keeps literally every single traveler from easy access. The path into the hall changes weekly and you have to wait for a guide to come and get you to lead you through the correct path or you will be lost in the entrance of the maze. That's rude. <laughs> that's fantastic it's great and like this is a major trade-up yeah. yeah that's rude what better way to protect your inner city though yeah just a bunch of adventurers like hitting dead ends and falling in spike if I was a guy to charge by hour <laughs> <laughs> you mean like a cab driver at the airport oh, no, why are you turning car, left yeah. for the fourth time yeah. um, so Long Saddle is the next one we're going to cover and it's a funny little settlement um Nestled between the capital C Craigs, which is a geological feature, and the Evermores. It is a smallish settlement, but its claim to fame is the family of werewolf mages that make their town home. The eccentricities of the Harples, who are this werewolf mage family, ha have tempered their power. And although in raw magic they are truly magnificent, their oddities bred some weird side effects and mishaps in the surrounding lands. One of which was a large magical lake that literally spawned a war. Don't worry though, the Harpoles stopped the war before it got out of hand in the most Harpel way possible. They turned the two religious factions into harmless rabbits. Reasonable. Right? 
Next is Amphail, which is a small town just out of Waterdeep that is known for two things. Firstly, the small town of just under a thousand souls specialize in the trade of great and powerful horses. Amphail grays and pure black chargers are sold out of the town to nations far and wide who value the horses not just for their coloring, but also for their stature, power, and resolve. Secondly, the town's namesake, Amphail the Just, who was an early warlord in the early days of Waterdeep, is said to patrol the streets of the village he had many estates in and loved as a ghost. Fantastic. Cool plot line. Yeah. Um, finally, in the list of Lord's Alliance cities is Yartar, which sits at the intersection of the River Serberin and the Deserin River and boasts a mighty bridge that kind of binds these two rivers together um, and you can fit multiple carts on at once. The location of the city mixed in with its proximity to the Evermore Way has made Yartar one of the most influential trade hubs in the savage frontiers of the Sword Coast. It also makes it a big fishing town. And because of that and the large rivers it is nested in, the city is known for ship and barge making. Now, the town does bear heavy animosity for the nearby Tribor uh, because of an ancient legend of the Lost Guide which is a merchant with a cart full of gold that each city blames the other for the disappearance of. Over the centuries, blames has, blame has blossomed into full-blown animosity, and it would seem that the only way to end that would be to find the wagon of the Lost Guide, likely under the waves of the Deserin. Hint, hint. Hint, hint. Now, let's move on to some of the other big names here. Luskin. Anyone who's played a D&D video game will know of Luskin. Luskin is the city of sails. It's a port city in the high north of the Sword Coast. Once grand and magnificent, the city is still struggling to regain its previous glory in the aftermath of the Spell Plague, which saw large chunks of the city straight up annihilated by a crazy mage. The city is now little more than ruins, uh, although it used to be home to the Arcane Brotherhood, as well as a large temple to the goddess of Winter's Wrath, Oriel. The Arcane Brotherhood had a singular large tower that had four branches or wings that gave it a look of a large stone or clay tree. This was the seat of power in Luskin as well as a popular school for the Arcane. The Winter Temple, on the other hand, is a grand complex with soaring white spires, arches, and pillars um, with an open-roofed courtyard. When the temple was in full activity, i.e. before Luskin was basically destroyed, People would engage in what were called wet parades, which gross. sounds gross. Now, what these were uh, is they would fill their undergarments um, with large, thick slabs of uh, solid ice and would climb the six pillars that are called the Kisses of Oriel in the courtyard. At the top of each of these pillars is this iron thing that you kiss. This would be done in hopes that one could complete the task and thus bring on the winters, uh, bring on easy winters for this northern city. It often resulted in death and uh, severe frostbite. Yeah, that seems. And really when dangerous. it's in your undergarments, that's not where you want severe frostbite. No, no, like you're wearing an, uh, a a diaper made of ice. Now, if they have a bad winter, does everyone who didn't kiss the bell and didn't die liable for that bad winter? Knowing Luskin, probably. Okay. Yeah. Just want to be sure. Um, we're, we're nearing, we're in the home run here, uh, guys, because we're going to cover Baragos next. And it's a large town and really one of the lowest locations in the Sword Coast, sitting roughly halfway between Amn and Baldur's Gate. Now, it is a singular, singularly focused religious town devoted to the teachings of Lathander. Oh boy. The leader of the town, the high priest, or 
named the most re uh, the most radiant is oh, his actual title. The, it's like the Pope. Yeah. He calls himself the most radiant. Keldath or Ormlier leads a hardy militia that allows for no lawlessness or evil deeds within the walls or on the roads around the town. His particular hatred is for the cults and representatives of the god Cyric, which if you know anything about Cyric and Lathander, you'll understand. If you don't, listen to maybe two lore episodes from here where we cover the uh, pantheon of the Forgotten Realms. He also sat in power in the temple called the Song of the Morning, a massive temple to the Morning Lord, another name for Lathander, which houses four beautiful in voice and body face Sirenes, who fill the halls with their wondrous melodies committed to Lathander at all hours of the day. Now, uh, Sirenes or Sirens are the, uh, um, they are a version of Fade that I don't think we've seen statted out in D&D yet. Which is weird considering, you know, we have uh, Beyond the Witchlight. Do we have anything really, though, set within Baradost? No. Right? There's nothing really there, so it makes we sense. We haven't had a whole hell of a lot in D&D 5 With the deities out, at all, really. Except for Frostmaiden, which yeah. is specifically Oriel. Right? That, but that's really it, right? You get yeah. some flavor within uh, Sword Coast Adventures Guide, but really that's the only reference, right? There's no modules that they've released that really lay into the deities of... Yeah. I got two more cities real quick to cover here. We got Sundabar, which is previously Citadel Sunbar. It's another massive location in the Silver Marshes section of the Sword Coast, which is near Silvery Moon. It is primarily a human and dwarf settlement, and the Citadel and its city sit atop a large vegetationless plateau. The town is led by the ruling master and has a militaristic order to it. Although many are wary of visitors, there is one tradition of the town that may draw your party here, and that is the adventuring charters. The government of the town maintains a laundry list of jobs for aspiring adventurers to cut their teeth or for experienced heroes to come to someone's aid. Now, pay is listed with the jobs and varied, but... 10% of all loot found on jobs given at the adventuring charters must be contributed to Sundabar for getting the contracts in the first place. So finder's fee. <laughs> it's a finder's fee. But if you're taking out a dragon's horde... Yeah, 10%'s not so bad. You can afford to... No, no. 10% of a dragon's horde? I mean, horde? it's a lot. It's a lot of money. But you're also out. it's also only 10% of a dragon's horde. You still have the other 90% for your party. I guess it's true. Finally, and I'm just mentioning these things because they're technically on the sword coast but not these are the island kingdoms that are present here the sword coast is just that a coast so it comes to figure that the rolling waves of the sea of swords would be home to many island nations as an example of these kingdoms i'm gonna just mention the largest and that is the moonshade isles the rocky shores of the many islands that circled the sea of moonshade in their middle also feature massive white cliffs made of large jagged rocky coastlines, and deep sulfurous marshlands. There are many small city-states among those islands, but most important is probably Care Caladir, the premier hub of trade in the Moonshades. Now, one of the reasons why this is fun is because goods from all over Toril can be found, from Waterdeep to Chult, from Caratour to Ten Towns, and back. Okay, guys, that is a long way to go for uh, the cities, and I, I want to I roll some dice here. Let's grab some dice here. I want to ask a question. Let's roll. I got a 9. 10. 14. All right, Brad, as a player, let's talk about as a player sure. first. 
which area, which city of the Sword Coast would you want to go adventuring in the most? As a player, I think last we mentioned Sundabar. The fact that they have that adventurer's board where you can kind of pick and choose from a list of them. Yep. Especially as a player, you often find going through the city just trying to find the right person with a quest. It almost feels railroaded at some point. Yep. So if a DM gives you, here's a board and a list of quests, it feels a little less railroady. You feel like you kind of get to choose your own fate in a way yeah. a little more as a player. So that concept stands out to me as one so that... much easier to railroad a player though if you give them a board oh very oh, much one good quest and here's ones that will kill you Pick. yeah <laughs> or you know as a dm as well you g- give a list of these quests and you only have to prepare one J- once hey, hey, calm down we're going to talk about dming in a second oh, i know here. but i'm as just saying player. but as a player right you have this list and you at least feel like you have some sort of choice especially if your dm gives you i mean you mentioned yeah you could railroad them but if your dm actually gives you a bunch that you're like i could pick any of these I would like something like that. You have to go kill 17 humans. All of them have slightly different names, but all of them have the same reward. That's and, right. And you're going to pick... I don't give a shit what name you pick. Yeah. I'll fill it it's a blank. All the they're same. all the same encounter. Yeah. <laughs> like, as a player, that wouldn't feel good. But if you actually had a DM who you knew, like, had at least an idea for all of these and flushed them out in some way... Yeah. Have a menu board of quests to pick from. That's the one I want as a player. Uh, I want a nice little appetizer of Goblin Host. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's not a bad one. James, what do you got? I'd probably do Silver Moon or Silvery Moon. Silvery Moon. I hate the name. That, that but Y throws that y me off. Obsess me very much. As a player, I would like as a player character, I would not use the Y. I would call it Silver Moon to upset my DM. Oh yeah, yeah. But we I would, we, we we would have issues. Yeah, I yeah. would definitely do Silver Moon just because as my main type of play is Magic Casters. So I want to go to the Magic City and find a new spell. Yeah. Find something unique. Find something powerful. Find a way to manipulate my magic I couldn't before. And and with with the mithril there, like uh, sorry the 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 mistrill mistrill yes. right, um, the the fact that magic can kind of just be what you want. Yeah. Oh man, there's you so can, much you do. Yeah, there. you get to pick what the magic does rather than magic telling you what it wants to. Well, and and the fact that uh, the leader of that town is like one of the seven sisters of Mistra, who are like all chosen of Mistra mm-hmm. and are yeah. powerful beings in their own respect. Such a heavy focus on Mistra is what would draw me to Silvery Moon as well. But in comparison, going to Baragost and like mm. dealing with Lathander shit and Ugh. and hunting down cults of Siric. Yeah. Um and and uh like trying to walk that line in a highly religious town that is also so close to Amn and and the rest of the wilds that are very anti um Baldur's Gate and the Sword Coast, right? Like, Am and Baldur's Gate have been in basically war, open war for, for years. So, like, you're sitting in the middle, and you're 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 in the no man's land of that, and also dealing with uh, actual cause and effect of the gods of the realms. That that tickles me pink. I, I love that. Yeah. Um, same initiative. Let's talk DMing. Is there one that speaks to you as a DM, Brad? Yes, as a DM, um, Mithril Hall is the one that stands out to me. Okay. Everyone knows that I love my dwarves. It's well documented on the podcast. (laughs) So obviously playing in that space as a DM and going around like this under mountain dwarven city just delights me. And learning about this maze as the entrance also gives me great, great joy. Yeah. Top that with the fact, as you mentioned, they are incredibly close to 
the, the underdark, underdark and yeah and everything that comes along with it as a dm that my brain is already spinning yeah if you wanted a location to have the you know they dug too greedily and too deep yeah it is mithril hall absolutely and, and, and they know this like you have a it also appeases your uh, nerd friends who read all the R.A. Salvatore books because the second you get through the maze, there is a massive stature of Bruner Battlehammer and his yeah. straight up like casket is right there in the entrance of Mithra Hall saying, hey, you're not fucking with us again. Bruner, yeah. Bruner's watching over us. This, right? this is it. Yeah. This is the place. So yeah, no, that just all of that just gets my DM brain juices flowing. Oh yeah. James, what do you got? Uh, it's not going to be unique on this one, but I'm going to say Mithra Hall too. But I would do more of a, the dwarves are working with the drow to crack the spine of the world. Because I keep hearing the spine of the world and I'm like, someone's got to break it. Oh. So shattering the spine An of the entire world mountain between, range. Yes. The dwarves who already dig, yeah. dig something big, and the drow who have some weird freaky magic can come up something together to crack the spine I mean, of the you're going to be dealing with Duragar. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and orcs, because yeah. yep. you the second you start getting into the spine of the world is when you start getting into, like, the mini arrows tribe yeah. of orcs and how that in and of itself is a massive civilization of orcs that uh, do not like specifically the Mithril Hall because so, they used to own it. Mm-hmm. It's one of the on again, off again. I like Mithril Hall. Because you could also be like, hey, guys, we're starting this. It's an off again. Mithril Hall has been cleared out and you are again fighting to reclaim Mithril Hall for the glory of Battlehammer or in the memory of Dritzt or something. Right. And that's when you bring Dritzt into the campaign or or any of the other like features just 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 to play on that. Right. For me, uh, you guys both went with Dwarven Halls and I went Mirabar, also a Dwarven City. But um, the thing I like about Mirabar is the um, the spiring of m- tunnels underneath it and the axe of Mirabar down there. And then also on top of that, um, those tunnels go in all directions, cutting into the Underdark or into the Spine of the World or yeah. some get all the way over into the Silver Marshes. So there's so many like underground tunnel things you can do. Um, but having your party as kind of a small group of like shock troops... That the axe of Mirabar is sending out, and you also have some contacts uh, contacts in the Shadow District who are like, "Hey, we think these agents of Luskin are coming up. Go take care of that." Right. Right. Yeah. Um, it's it. You would have a lot more. I feel like there's a lot of opportunity for political intrigue as well within Mirabar. Mirabar. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, there is within Mithra Hall as well. Oh, absolutely, there is. But, with, but I think it's easy to overlook. But I think. If you build a good campaign with the Mirabar, especially taking advantage of the Axe of Mirabar and the Shadow uh, Shadow District, right? There's a lot that you can do, especially conflict between the two, right? Yeah, yeah. No, you you really, really could. I mean, it's it's um, it is the perfect place to. I mean, your your close vicinity to Silvery Moon and the yeah. Spine and and. Um, you are a bit of Mirbar is a bit of a frontier town as well. Like it is, it is right? It's the, kind of your first. It's your most northern. Well, well, no, it's not your most northern, but it is. It is farther off to the east as well. Right. Um. So if you're coming in from um the um Anorok, which is a large desert area, um, you're doing well. I mean, it is a northern town. Luskin is technically going to be colder and more northern. Yeah. If you want to do that, um, but. Uh, Mirabar's Mirabar's up there. 
right? It, it, it's, it's no slouch in that regard. Hey everyone, it's Dan, and I'm by myself at the It's Mimic Studio with a heartfelt thank you and a series of announcements for you guys. Normally, Adam would be here with me for these messages, but he decided to leave me this script while he takes a much-deserved break where he is, uh, one sec, um, breaking hearts and skulls on the long journey to vengeance. Okay. Anyways, I want to get to the thank yous first. Uh, thank you to everyone who has supported us along this journey. This episode actually marks the end of year three for us. And as we move forward into year four, we want to acknowledge everyone who has ducked in for even a quick listen. Every second any of you have listened, every time you like, comment, download, subscribe, or follow us, it fills our hearts up. And it's not just about the metrics or anything. It's about the fact that we started this because we love it just like we love D&D, just like you love D&D. And every time we get to talk more about it with you guys and for you guys, it's like getting a pat on the back that lets us know we did a good job. So thank you. It's been a really difficult and discouraging couple of years here, but you guys have made it all worthwhile and just that much more pleasurable. So thank you so much from the bottom of our hearts from everybody here at It's a Mimic. Additionally, an extra thank you to anybody who donates through the website and buys merch through the store. It is honestly baffling to me that so many people want to support what we all do here, and even more baffling when some of you choose to push forward the It's Mimic logo and brand. The hilarious irony of imposter syndrome at a podcast called It's a Mimic is not lost on me, but it's definitely there sometimes. So all of that means a lot. These contributions you make not only help keep the lights on, but also helps give us the emotional and mental pick-me-up that we, and all Dungeon Masters, need sometimes. And now back to the script. Um, it says here that I'm supposed to write a six-page heartfelt thank you to Adam for, um, oh my god, oh, and, and I quote, inspiring the rest of the cast and crew to stop being assholes and start being as cool as he is. Then there's a recipe for what looks like an alcoholic beverage called the Strip and Skip, and that shouldn't be that much tequila. That can't be. That's a lot of tequila. Okay. Um, we're going to move on from that and uh, we'll just get to it. Basically, we do really appreciate everything that our friends have brought to the table, except, of course, for the brief stints of Uncle Terry. So I suggested that we finally give Coffee Bitch Dave another promotion. Adam then took this to heart and offered promotions up to everyone. Cool. Cool. Let's get into it here. Okay, so Terry, of course, is the third OG on the podcast. He's getting a promotion to vice president, um, which is not to say that he is a vice president, but more that he will be our president of all vice and sin. Dave is moving up two spots from Coffee Bitch Dave through Coffee Monger Dave to purveyor of sweetness and cream. Good Lord. Brad is going from male slave Brad to male slave Brad. Oh, okay. Well, at least that provides some clarity on whether or not he's been slaving away in the mailroom or been a slave with Y chromosome. Now he's just male slave Brad. Everybody should be able to understand that now. That brings us to Megan, who will henceforth be known as the Meganificent Megan? The Meganificent Megan? For fuck's sakes, Adam. Now, both Jeff and Pepperina joined the cast permanently this year, so they're getting official titles of Thing One and Thing half. 
It doesn't say here which is which, so I guess they can fight about who is only a half. We had James join the show as well uh, right after our mob episodes, and it says here that he's getting the title of, I think it says Lieutenant, but there are far too many U's in it. Then it's just a doodle of what looks like a helicopter eating a turkey leg, I think. And now moving on to Kyle, who has stepped up to be a regular host on the podcast. Um, He is just going to be called Patrick from now on. I'm now officially sure that Adam was drinking when he wrote this. Now, there's a couple of notes at the bottom about how our editors, Tyler and Travis, are supposed to just swap names, but um, only when a substitute teacher shows up. And our other voices from the Call of Cthulhu shows, who are Grady, Casey, and Mieka, should all be sent into the infield and be called who, what, and I don't know third base. (laughs) Nice. I think Adam had way too many of those strip and skips. Anyways, thank you to everybody for sticking through this podcast, despite Adam's unraveling grasp on reality. We really look forward to jumping into year four, where we're going to make things bigger, better, and fitter, happier, more productive, comfortable, not drinking too much, regular exercise at the gym three days a week, getting on better with your associate, employee, contemporaries. Holy crap, it goes on like this for at least another page and a half. Uh, Know what? Let's get back to the episode. So there's one more bigger city that we want to talk about along the Sword Coast, and that is Neverwinter. We haven't really covered it in the past. We're, there has been no published material. There's lots of canon material yeah. because we have Neverwinter Nights, Neverwinter Nights 2. We have the new MMO. Well, new. Sure. We have the, we have the Dungeons & Dragons MMO, MMO, which is Neverwinter. Yes. That is I mean, technically canon, I believe, the stuff that happens in it. I think so. Yeah, well, Neverwinter is really well... Like, there's a lot of books. Or, it's well documented all over the place. But as yeah. far as 5th edition is concerned, the places where you're going to find it are few and far between. Sword Coast Adventures Guide gives us a bit of a rundown on it. But again, yeah. no campaign there. There are a couple campaigns that kind of touch on it a little bit within the Essentials Kit. Yeah, okay. So if you do want, if what I what we talk about here about Neverwinter Intrigues, you take a look at the Essentials Kit. That might be your way in. Um, but yeah, it doesn't have a lot of 5th edition lore. Cool. So we're going to get into it here. Uh, real quick to cover pre-5e. We know I'm a 5e guy, so I'm going to cover more 5e. But I did a bit of background digging on it. So Neverwinter, it's interesting that you mentioned earlier... The Jewel of the North is an old name for Neverwinter, but now that's a name that's passed on to um, Silvery Moon. Yeah. You mentioned. Well, the Gem of the North. The Gem of the North. So yeah, yeah the Gem of the North. There's and, the Jewel of the North and the Gem of the... There are creative folk in the Sword Coast. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> they do have some good names, like the Sea How, of Moving Ice. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty a, good There are one. some good ones. But yeah, uh, the other name that Neverwinter was known by in the past was City of Skilled Hands. I bet it was. Now, oh, that's not where I went with that, but yeah. You're welcome. Um, the reason I say they were known as that is that Neverwinter in 5th edition is a bit of a shadow of its former self. Neverwinter pre-5e was had a reputation for being a home to many skilled craftsmen, artists, merchants, scholars... And especially gardeners, they made a point of pointing of calling them out. Yeah, yeah. Um, it used to be full a city full of these colorful glass lamps that gave the city like a almost rainbow esque glow at night as all these lamps were lit. They had these intricate water driven clocks, which I can't even begin to imagine. I couldn't find a whole lot of lore on how they worked. 
Well, it's basically like a mill. Exactly. Right? But it drew, drove the cogworks and everything. Yeah. But yeah, just a really interesting concept that you could have the consistency of flow from the river to drive these. But yeah, so they had these beautiful clocks. They're incredibly precise. They had expertly crafted jewelry and beautiful gardens which flowered almost the year, including in the snow, thanks to the skilled gardeners. The reason they were able to grow uh, flowers and gardens within the winter months was because they used the river waters, which are actually heated by a nearby, like, nearby volcano called Mount Hotanau. Great name for a volcano. Yeah, yeah. Mount Hotanau. Yeah. <laughs> really? I, I, I choose to believe that's Hotanau. It, it probably but, is. But, but it is spelt Hotinau. Yeah, H-O-T-E-N-O-W. Yeah. It's hot now. Someone else wanted to get out early on Friday. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and Mount Hotanau is actually uh, located in the Neverwinter Wood, which is just to the east of the city. And roughly 50 years before this point in the timeline, it was actually hot now. Yeah. Uh. So, yeah. So if we look at the current setting of 5th edition as it stands now, 50 years ago, Mount Hot now erupted, destroying the city of Neverwinter. Ah, uh, that's why we don't get published materials on yeah. it. Yeah. yeah okay. So uh, Neverwinter was actually torn asunder or split in two with a massive chasm. Uh, from which agents of the Hells were able to emerge. Fair. Isn't that nice? Good times. Yeah. Um, thousands of people died within the city of Neverwinter and their surrounding area. The city itself, as I said, was torn th- asunder. And basically everybody was chased out of Real Neverwinter. prices must be good there. <laughs> we'll actually get to that. Yes, is the answer. So following, the eru- uh, following that eruption, the city emptied. Creatures from the Hells emerged. Orc tribes ravaged through anybody who had saw the opportunity tried to vie for power. The city was eventually brought back under control by Lord Dagalt Neverember, who was a deposed open lord of Waterdeep. Yeah, he was deposed by the current one. Correct. Yeah. So in current 5th edition lore, it the city of Neverwinter is being ruled by Lord Dagalt Neverember. He has poured... So much of his time, most of his time and resources into the rebuilding of the city of Neverwinter. So, real quick, just to cover it, um, since his name didn't really come up earlier, Lord Dagalt Neverember was the open lord of Waterdeep. Yeah. He was the face of all of Waterdeep. He ended up being deposed for some political reasons. It's too much to get into for this episode, but um, basically in all of that, he decided to head towards ne- uh he decided to head towards Neverwinter and head up the rebuilding of it. Yeah, and I, I, I find it funny that the Lord of uh, the Grand Protector of uh, Never Neverwinter Winter. is named Never Ember. Yeah, well, there's there's a there's a dichotomy there. So he like, he has a bit of a genealogical claim to the previous throne of Neverwinter. Okay, so none of it it's all tenuous he can't no one can really prove it but that's part of his claim is that he has heritage from the previous king of neverwinter he is his bloodline he is either saying the truth or he just was like man i was deposed and yeah. no i am i, I have I never mean, in my name i have never in my name the, and and the I castle mean, was called castle never so he's got it right there good enough for me but yeah. he could also just sit there and be like the records i guess fell, fell into, into the, the chasm oh, weird still good enough for me yeah <laughs> um so people don't tend to care about that anyways, because he himself has actually done a really good job of bringing the city back under control, driving out creatures from the hells, basically reestablishing a military force within the city and reclaiming it for the people of the Sword Coast. 
during his rule, he has managed to rebuild the high road that passes through yep. Neverwinter. And that passes all the way along the Sword Coast. Yeah, it is the main road it of is, the Sword Coast. Yeah, yeah, it's the primary highway and the trade. It's the trade line. Trade route. Yeah, yeah. As opposed to the low road. Nah. The your preferred your preferred route. Oh, no. Don't you dare sing Oh Danny Boy. Okay. Podcast <laughs> peeps. Oh Danny Boy and me have a uh very tenuous no, it's not tenuous. It's, I hate them. I hate yeah. the song. This song's dumb. And Chubba I hate you because I went to school when that song was powerful <laughs> and popular. So, uh, fuck you, Tubbs. That's okay. For the uh, Canadians around, I was in elementary school during Sticking Around when everybody said Scradley. Oh. So, I I understand your pain. Man, I forgot about Sticking Around. I I did as well. There's a reason. And now I'm sad that I remember it again. Yeah. 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 My apologies. Anyways, so... All of us just got like elder millennial. Yeah, uh, was, that's no fun. Oh no, no. we're old. I really hate when people do that to yeah, me. Yeah, I got called old in my class the other day. They're all like eighteen, and I'm twenty nine. So yes, I'm much older than them. But something came up, and they all looked at me like you're old, and I'm like, ow. Okay, none of us are Adam. For one, mm-hmm. Adam's really like, old. Adam, Adam is is uh, Grandpa Adam. Nile, uh, call him pa- that, Papa Adam. Actually, uh, yeah, no, no, Grandpa, Grandpa, like, Grandfather Adam. Right, mm-hmm. he likes hags. That might yeah, go yeah. well for him. Um, but um, I'm I'm not too far off from him. And I was working with a guy the other day who is literally half my age, and his mother is literally my age. And I went, I don't like you now. No. Because that that caused an existential level of dread in my life. As I'm like, I'm now training somebody who is literally half my... Like, joining the workforce... As an almost adult. As an almost adult. Ugh. Anyways. Anyways, let's get... More about Daggled. (laughs) Yeah, let's get back to Daggled. So he, as I mentioned, he was able to reestablish the high road passage through Neverwinter. And he did this by sealing off the chasm caused by the eruption. Which... How was did he no small. It's hand waving and magic. Okay. They did say specifically though that it was an impressive feat of engineering. So it was not just magic that that tracks with Neverwinter being the city of artisans and, and yeah. crafters, right? Like I would be up if it was Silvery Moon. I'd be like, yeah, yeah, it was magic. magic stuff. Oh yeah, bullshit yeah. magic stuff easily, but especially no, if they this, can change magic. This was an engineered feat. Yeah, if it, if it was engineered and like so great engineering that it looks like magic, yes. then I'm a hundred percent on board. Yeah, no, I respect it. Um, and they say that he like they actually he sealed off the entirety of the chasm. Hmm. Like the city is no longer divided. So yeah, again, no small feat considering that it was caused by an earthquake. Can make an interesting campaign on just the maintenance. We'll get to oh, that. Oh yes, we absolutely will. Um, so while he is the Lord Protector of Neverwinter is his official title, he refuses to take on the title of King of Neverwinter, and therefore refuses to appoint any councils or nobles under himself. So that means that anybody who wants to gain power or status within the city of Neverwinter either has to do it directly with him. And not it, even then, it won't be an official title, or they have to fight for power within the guilds that are now trying to take back Neverwinter. This is like the smartest play he could have done because he is just 100%. basically coming in and be like, by abdicating my role as king, I now don't have the responsibilities to do all that. Yeah. But let's be completely honest, I'm your fucking king. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, well, interestingly as well, he refuses to take any real place of power as well. He lives in like, a villa, but it's not... He's not in the castle 
Never, which is the main yeah. previous main house of the king. He's just in one of the old lord's homes. Like if he moved into the if he moved into the uh, castle, it, it would Never, be a power play. Well, if if he moved in, it would be a power play, right? And yeah. it would be a symbol. He'd be like, "I'm not the king, guys," as he's putting the crown on his and head. sitting on the throne. Yeah. yeah. So he's very intentionally and very wisely avoided taking the throne. Yeah. And instead, he does rule with power and authority. But in a way that makes him seem like he's just one of the people interested in... Re- and he genuinely is interested in the restoration. Yeah, that's like, good. People so speak like really well of him. steward of Gondor. He, kind of, yeah. It's an okay way of putting that, I yeah, think. Cool. Yeah, I think yeah, that's yeah, fair. Yeah, I'm on board with that. Um, but yeah, so basically, he, he, if you want to gain power within the city of Neverwinter, you're going to be going through the guilds. And cool. you're going to be making your own way. you got to be a self-made, self-made person. So... Neverwinter has three main districts within it. There's the Protector's Enclave, which is really the only district that we have any information about within 5th edition lore. Okay. There's also the Tower District and the Blue Lake District. Um, Interestingly, the names are pretty self-descriptive. The Tower District is named because there's a massive tower. The Blue Lake District is named because there's a massive blue lake. Cool. Simple. Uh, But we'll talk a little bit about the Protector's Enclave. The Enclave is home to the Hall of Justice, which is a rebuilt temple to Tyr... And base of operations for Lord Never Ember. Tyr, as we know in 5th edition, is recently resurrected. Yep. He was dead. He is no longer dead. He is back. And Lord Never Ember worships him and supports him, like, strongly. Cool. Uh, as such, Tyr has stepped in and helped with the rebuilding of Neverwinter and the restructuring. Thanks for your worship, bro. Here's a new city. Yeah, so, again... Lord Neverwinter actually gets the credit for that because of the fact that he worships Tyr. And as such, they, the people basically say, because you worship Tyr, he has come in and helped us. So you are responsible for the bringing Tyr back to the city. Mm-hmm. Also within the Protector's Enclave is the House of Knowledge, which is home to the worshippers of Ogma, god of the bards. While Tyr and Ogma are not the only gods worshipped in Neverwinter, they are the only two with official places of worship dedicated to them within the city. By Everyone way, else basically just has makeshift. Yeah, Ogma's the god of knowledge. He's he yes. is he is my fucking jam, man. I love Ogma. Yeah. Uh, when we when we talk about the Pantheon, uh, I might talk too much about Ogma. We'll catch you off. Yeah. All right. While Lord Neverember controls the city and its forces, he is facing some pushback from the local populace for employing outside forces especially Mintarn mercenaries. Now, we haven't talked about Mintarn because it's not quite part of the Sword Coast. It's kind of off. It's kind of off. It's an island nation of... It's it's one of the island kingdoms that I didn't cover. Yeah, Yeah. it's kind of like a sad... They're not... Savage is not the right word, but they are mercenaries for hire. They are kind of lawless. Their entire culture is based off of um, being mercenaries. Yes. Right? They're very militaristic, very gladiatorial. Yeah. Um, But they don't... They only answer to whoever's paying the bill. Yeah. So the locals of Neverwinter don't really trust them. They use them because they needed somebody at the start to gain control over the city again. But now that the city's starting to come back together, they're saying, hey, we don't trust these guys. They need to go. So Lord Neverember is recognizing this and starting to slowly pull them out of the city while he's also starting to train up some of the locals as well to start filling the military positions within the city. Okay. So there's a slow turnover going, but you're going to have some clashes between the locals and these mercenaries. Also within the city is a small number of rebels in a group called the Sons of Alagondar, but their numbers are dwindling as people see the good... See the good that Lord Neverember is doing in the progress he is making in rebuilding the city. The Sons of Alagondar are named for the previous king of Neverwinter, 
And mm-hmm. they're, they're the ones who claim official lineage. So I mentioned earlier that Lord Neverember kind of claims some lineage, but he can't prove it. These people actually can. They're actual descendants of, of the previous, king, the of previous king of the... Yeah. So they are kind of in some conflict. But that said, their numbers are dwindling because people are realizing that Lord Neverember is doing enough good anyways that the old king is gone. The old line of lineage is gone. It's time to move on. Cool. So they're still there in small numbers, and they do pose some threat, but not a ton. So right now, in 5th edition, if you were to jump in right now, Neverwinter's in a state of rebuilding as much of it is uninhabited. Most of the homes are just empty. So you talked about good real estate prices earlier, James. Yeah. yeah. People are just moving into the villas. Like, there's the real estate price is free. That's how you, you literally find an empty home, you move in, and you claim squatters rights. Because no one else actually claims owner, ownership of any of these buildings. The history and the reputation of the city as the former jewel of the north have many hoping that it will soon be restored to its former reputation. With the chasm sealed and beasts and residents of the hells driven from the city, people are slowly starting to return to Neverwinter. Cool. All right, guys, let's grab our dice. Let's roll some initiative. Let's talk about some Neverwinter stuff here. All right. I got a seven. Five. Six. We got three in a row. All right, me. Uh, What about Neverwinter... um, is different like what does neverwinter bring to the table that differs from the candle keeps water deeps and Baldur's gates of the world um uh, this will be our first question here and to be completely honest neverwinter as a focus on the city of the crafter is fantastic Baldur's gate is a port city um water deep is a massive metropolis that mm-hmm. uh, again is a hub of trade um, Candlekeep is a basically a, just a library, it's a giant library, right? Um, Neverwinter's the one that if you want to have some of that Eberron flavor, steampunk, magic punk level stuff, um, gear punk stuff, you could put it in Neverwinter and it would not be out of place. Um, it also has this, you know, nestled above the quote unquote sealed chasm. Mm-hmm. That was sealed under mysterious circumstances, and and everybody's like, "Yay, we don't have to deal with devils anymore." But what did Never Ember really do, yeah. right? Um, so, like, there's there's so much potential for great campaigns there. I feel like Five E has set up Neverwinter to eventually be a campaign hub of some sort. But as it stands at the time of this recording, um, the next big campaign arc is happening in Taldore. So. Uh, this is this feels like somewhere I could go to and yep. has the type of fantasy I like. I don't like the massive metropolis with shadow lords as much as I like. Mm-hmm. Um, little bit more standard run of the mill D and D. Sure. Um, for me, Neverwinter it brings that political intrigue of a new founding of a city. Right. Yeah. You're dealing with a city that was once great was brought low, and has now been fixed. So you're not dealing with the invasion from the Hells anymore. That's been dealt with. Yeah. Lord never remember putting an end to that. I, I find it hilarious that this is this is on the other end of that uh, spectrum with Luskin, which is dealing with the exact same stuff, just they are not succeeding in the rebuild. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think there's really just a lot of opportunity here that you don't get in the other cities where it's a fresh a fresh slate, right? Mm-hmm. You're starting clean. There's, there's a small building block, block but you basically have... You're living in the skeleton of a once great city, and now you have an opportunity to see where it's going to go now. Is it going to become what it was, or is it going to become, is it just going to be problems that keep it from becoming 
Oh, well, as I was suggested earlier, having something to do with that seal. Because to me, that seal's not going all the way down to the hells. So is it 100 feet thick? Is it 10 feet thick? And why aren't they getting through, especially if it's 10 feet thick? Mm-hmm. Maybe there's something insidious in why they're not coming through. Mm-hmm. So you can put more of a political intrigue, as you were yeah. saying, but on between the races above the ground and the races below. Did Never Ember make a deal with the devil? Well, exactly. And, and see, that's that's kind of one of the things I want to do. So uh, this actually is great because I want to talk about the next thing. Now that we know a lot about Neverwinter, let's pitch one small one-shot and one campaign based around the city. As a one-shot, I don't really want to delve into the seal as a one-shot. That That is a bit much. Yeah. However, um, stopping and and figuring out the intrigue between the Sons of Alagondar and Never Ember himself, like that level of thing... That sounds to me like, hey, there is an insurgent force. Go find them. That sounds like a great one shot to me, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then, of course, finding out that they're actually the good guys. Oh shit! Now this is a campaign. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but Brad, what? What about you? A one shot. Funny thing, my one shot idea was exactly the same. So I'm going to take a slight twist on that, and instead, I would want to play more on the Mintarn mercenaries. Okay. Right. So as a one shot, I think I would take a band of the Mintarn mercenaries who are realizing that you know their time here is coming to an end. So instead of really serving, they've made their money, they're on their way out. They're kind of starting to cause some trouble within the city to say, hey, we're still needed. And so I want to play with something like that, right? The party's basically been hired to find out who's causing this mischief in the city. You're going to find out it's the Mintarn and you're going to either take care of them or bring them in front of Lord Never Ember. Yeah. I would do something similar with the Sons of Alagondar. But I would do that you're hunting for an item on behalf of either the Sons or even Never Ember. That when magic, just anyone's latent magic, whether you're a caster or not, is put into it, if you're royal blood, it will display something. Okay. So a mm. royal symbol will come up, whatever, and there's one of it. doesn't matter what royal you are, it will give you your royal symbol. So there's other places within, as we were doing in um, the Sword Coast, that have issues with who's in charge and who's yeah. royal. Yeah. So that could be a well-sought-after item. Easily put into a one shot, kind of like a uh, royal genealogy dowsing rod. Yes, yeah, essentially. Yeah. yeah, be like, ah, you're kind of Neverwinter yeah, material, kinda, but you're but not. they're super Neverwinter material. And whoever has the item gets to claim they're the most. Cool. So yeah. that's what I would do for that. For a full campaign setting, man, I, I love this idea of this cleft city that has been overrun by devils. Um and. I don't think a ousted former open lord of Waterdeep has suddenly made a turn to be all so altruistic. I I am convinced that there is some sort of devil shenaniganry happening, and this seal is nothing more than a false front, which is being maintained by Never Ember himself. So what happens if Never Ember disappears? Mm. Whatever what happens to the people who ousted him as a uh, Lord of Waterdeep now come into Neverwinter and want him out there as well. Like there's there's a reason you get enemies in the when you get that high up politically and you almost can't get up that high without getting your hands dirty. So he gets taken out and you have to go find the shady 
politician to tell you how to stop because the devils have started pouring back into the city. There's my campaign. Interesting. I have a slightly different take on that, given the fact that Tyr is so active in the city of Neverwinter now, right? Yeah. As God of Justice, I feel like you can kind of understand how that seal is holding. Between Tyr and Ogma both being in that city, right? You have the God of Knowledge and the God of Justice. I feel like you can kind of... I'm, I'm satisfied with that seal. So I would want to... I would want to go a full political intrigue campaign where you are acting as representatives in the rebuilding of Neverwinter and you're going to be sent down to Waterdeep. You're going to be sent out to all these other cities. Oh, that's cool. Right? And so your job is basically to try and convince people to come back. You're going to be dealing with threats that are threatening the city of Neverwinter because they're still there, right? There's still orcs in the area. There's still all these other forces yeah, you're, want to. you're you're there to like repopulate Neverwinter, so, not that way, Bard. Keep it. Yeah, um, but yeah, it's your job basically to be the emissaries for the city of Neverwinter to be the adventurers who are the founders of refounders of Neverwinter. You're making a name for yourself as you're basically going to be the high lords of Neverwinter. So, okay, as as much as I love this idea, there is one there's one thing. This is exactly the story of Baldur's Gate. <laughs> Like, Baldur's Gate is a town that was basically saved by a group of adventurers. Sure. So they named it by them. And yeah. then in that saving, there was a band of mercenaries who sure. went, how do we save ourselves while well, we're joined? Okay, now we're called the Flaming Fist now, guys. Yeah. Right? Like, But you can't do that with Baldur's Gate anymore. It's been done. So now you have your chance but, to be the new... And I'm saying, like, it, like, as much as this is, like, the Baldur's Gate story in broad yeah. strokes... There's no reason it can't work in yeah. Neverwinter, and you get to explore the Sword Coast. Absolutely. It's a great campaign. What better place to have your hub of operations, especially for fledgling adventurers? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can build out the city up with them, exactly, too. Yeah. And there are so many different little pieces of art online about the layout of oh, Neverwinter, because it has been the focus of several video games. Yeah. yeah. So, No, there's a lot there. So that, that's where I would take that campaign. For me, I would touch on both the seal and the gods. What if Tyr's not Tyr? Oh. What if it's a different <laughs> god? All right, you win. <laughs> representing and doing this. Whether Ember, Never Ember knows or not, mm -hmm. that's entirely up to you building the campaign. I personally have him know, and he is part of this subterfuge. I would also probably make him a lich or something else like that. You wouldn't just make it like Asmodeus? Yeah, no. Who's been like, hey guys, I'm fi I found my way into the realm, and no, I'm Tyr. Yeah, he's dead. He's not coming after me. Like that. That yeah. sounds. I don't like know who would I do, but yeah, I haven't just thought about it. So that's that's amazing. I haven't put the area, but yeah, I would do something with the gods being not who they claim to be, which in turn automatically implies the seal is not what it's said to be. But I would introduce the seal not being what it is first to the party. Okay. Now, if you had a character based out of Neverwinter as it stands right now in D&D &D lore, what backstory do you think would fit best? Like what uh, what background or, or backstory kind of note do you have? I would love to have one of these guys who has been raised just after the destruction in this city rebuilding, right? And, mm -hmm. and a, a city-wide uh, level of ruin that your character's built up in. Like, you could go post-apocalyptic with this real quick, yep. right? And now your family's trying to uh, survive. There are still some devils in the poorer districts of the sure. town that your party's trying to, uh, you know, get past to 
grow up and like your character specifically is come from this reality mm-hmm. and now has a hatred of devils and that's why he's a paladin of tear now sure even though you know as james has said tear is actually so so your paladin of tears is actually a paladin of a demi-lich or of as you hinted asmodeus yes yeah uh, so what about you brad what do you got for, uh, for me i'm actually going to take we have so many backgrounds based on being an agent of the house yeah, so well, I get a lot of those from Eberron. I yeah. like it, I, I didn't mention an actual like background, but like also the guild artisan. Like yep. if you've got one that's a crafter, sure. you fit in great with yep. Neverwinter. So in this case, I would take one of those uh agents and I would be an agent of Never Ember. Right? So you come from you're basically serving under Lord Never Ember when he was deposed from Waterdeep, and now you're following him here and he has a job for you and he wants you to See with these adventurers, right? You would kind of be the point of contact between your party and Lord Neverember. Cool. Cool. I actually really like that idea. I'm going to actually steal a portion of it. Go for it. You are not necessarily an I wouldn't do it necessarily an agent of yep. Neverember, but you are an acquaintance. And he knew he was about to be deposed. So right. he sent you ahead of him. Sure. Saying, I want here. Yeah. And I do the character as an artificer. So you are on the forefront of technology. Mm-hmm. You are sent there for the idea of this seal. Yeah. Does it work? Can we do it with magic? Do we need tech? How do we get there? You could go sage. You could go mm-hmm. uh, far traveler. Yeah. But there. as you mentioned, right, this is a city crafter. So artificer is just a very oh, cool yeah. fit. It's great. Well, if you want more insight and thoughts like this, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and at r slash it's a mimic on Reddit. You can always email us at info at itsamimic.com because we are always taking mailbag questions. So please feel free to send us questions anytime for the mailbag to that email address or through any of the other channels. Positive reviews, sharing on social media, and word of mouth are the only way that we get this podcast out there. So please send it to your friends, leave your reviews. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to call us out for our pronunciation, Reddit is the best option. Yeah. Or YouTube. Or YouTube. They like it there too. Yeah. So guys, we know that the Sword Coast is a collection of city-states. We've talked we've talked about them now. Let's talk about the in-between spaces. If you are running a campaign in the Sword Coast, how do you prep for random encounters or creatures you might come across? Now, um, I've gone through and I've kind of generated a list based off the different wilderness areas around. So um, follow me here if you can with a map of, uh, of the Sword Coast. If not, I'll give you kind of directions. But there are some significant threats outside these little bright lights of civilization. Firstly, if you are, you know, east of Icewind Dale, around the spine of the world area, um, you're going to have small settlements of drow, durgar, uh, humans, and they're going to be more savage and wild and frontier humans, orcs and goblinoids. Um, in terms of some notable creatures that are in the Spine of the World area, we have Old Snarl, which is an ancient red dragon, which you could tune into episode 149 to hear a deep dive into them, um, as well as uh, some white dragons, yetis, frost giants, hill giants, and of course, Verbeeg. Now, if you're east of the Spine of the World, you'll have the Kingdom of Many Arrows. This is a kingdom of orcs that has... Um, kind of they, they've stopped their nomadic ways and have found a spot to live and uh specifically drawn by the power of Groomsh and the hatred of the mithril hall dwarves okay 
Now, it is a large orc kingdom, and if you want more insight into how to um, run orc kingdoms and, and stuff like that, go ahead and listen to episode 15, 101, or 102. We'll give you some insights there. Now, if you're below the spine of the world, there is a large force there called the Lurkwood. It's got a lot of human barbarians, orcs, giants, ettons, um, but it does have a large tribe of werewolves called the Grey Wolf Tribe. This is 50 or so werewolves that kind of roam that area, okay? Now, between Luskin and Neverwinter, as you're heading uh, further south, there is the Neverwinter Wood, which has a within it a small druidic circle made mostly of elves called the Ring of Swords. Now, there is mention of the Circle of Swords as well. Um, they are druids that are kind of pro-limited civilization, but anti-devil. They are so anti-devil. Mm -hmm. They're hunting down um, infernal things in their world. Now, there are some notable creatures in this area as well as uh, goblins, gnolls, and a green dragon called Neverwinter Wood Home. If you head east of the Neverwinter uh, of the Neverwinter Wood, you get the East Moors. Now, the East Moors are rolling, uh, craggy uh, hill lands, and they are filled with uh, all sorts of giant kin. We've got ogres, ettins, trolls, hill giants, and orcs that just roam these lands. Now, if you take the high road south from Neverwinter into uh, Waterdeep along the coast, or take the long road up between Neverwinter Wood and the Evermoors, you will uh, probably, if you're a little bit more on the west side, hit the Mirror of Dead Men. This is where a black dragon, Vorag Hamathar, um, lives. Now, again, we mentioned a lot of these named dragons in episode 149. Go ahead and check that out. Also within this mirror or swamp, are bullywugs, doppelgangers, <laughs> fun, lizard folk, and a swath of undead, okay? If you're more to the uh, east side of the high road in the Sword Mountains, which is where Ice Spire Peak, uh, which is where the Essentials Kit is, um, you might run into Cryovane, who's a white dragon. Uh, that's all part of the Essentials Kit. Uh, but there's also a bunch of displaced orcs, some trolls, and a lot of roaming adventurer parties who are a bit down on their luck in that area. Now, if you're in the High Forest, which is on the east side of the High Mountains, um, you will see a massive population of elves um, uh, within that entire area, mostly wood elves, of course. There are also some gnolls, some centaurs, and orcs that form the rest of the majority of the inhabitants, but some humans, halflings, half-elves, and half-orcs are not uncommon within the High Forest. Within the High Forest, specifically, is a mountain range called the Star Mounts, where a great uh, where a red great worm dragon kind of holds dominion, okay? So don't go towards the Starbounce. Now, if you take the tradeway south from Waterdeep past Daggerford and Dragonspear Castle, you will hit the Trollbark Forest, which has, I mean, trolls called the Trollbark Forest. Well, I thought it was going to be trees. Yeah. Um, I mean, it does have trees. It also has chokers, which are not used enough in Dungeons & Dragons, in my opinion. That's your kink. You keep that to yourself. Oh no, that's not a kink. That is, they are just wonderful monsters. Okay, uh, do you know what a choker uh, is? Wood cross, I believe. <laughs> uh, do you know what chokers are, James? Nope. Looking them up right now. They are. I believe they're monstrosities. They might be undead, but they have these long arms with like spikes on the end that like can choke you out from range. 
force choke, basically. Yeah, yeah, they get force choke. Just, I mean, they physically do it. Um, now, if you head east of the tradeway, um, you will have a monster-infested area called the High Moor, which is known for ancient ruins and forgotten treasures. This is also where the Serpent Hills are, which are teeming with UNT. Now, remember the Forgotten Realms and all of Toril and um, area is called the Forgotten Realms because it's kind of like ancient civilizations built on top of ancient civilizations, which then crumble, and then more ancient civilizations, and that stacks. So if you have an area full of, uh, you know, monsters and ancient ruins... You could throw in the Netherese and and various other civilizations like that here, and they would not go out of place, especially when it's teaming with the Yuan-T. Now, south of Dragonspear Castle is the Troll Claws. This is a massive troll colony that seems unable to be completely destroyed despite frequent attempts. Separate from the trolls in the um, Trollbark Forest, the trolls and the Troll Claws are two groups that have been known to communicate and frequently work together. Now, the tradeway breaks between the Troll Claws and the High Moor, and the trek from the Dragon Spear Castle to the road is long and dangerous. The tradeway travels southeast, sloping along uh, from the coast and skirting the Reaching Woods until it meets the River Chianthar, uh, which is near Baldur's Gate. The Reaching Woods is full of knolls, primarily, that keep humans and elves as slaves and food. Sometimes some goblinoids are allowed to inhabit some sections and few remnants of the centaur and satyr, um, sorry, and satyr populations from that area still live in small sanctuaries. Now, if you keep going with the river Chianthar, eventually you will hit the wood of sharp teeth. This is a wild area home to a litany of dire beasts and werewolves and lycanthropes. Dragons and hydras are also regularly seen within the wood and some satyrs and dryads keep the woods but they are few and far between and they hide because, I mean, Hydra's going to eat them. Finally, um, you take the coastway south from Baldur's Gate past Candlekeep to get into the country of Am. Am is, if you're if you're doing a Sword Coast campaign, Am is kind of like the boogeyman country that kind of hangs over everyone's head. It is primarily humans with about a sixth of the population being halflings. Now, they mostly focus on merchants, trading, and intrigue because if you remember, I mentioned this earlier, Magic is outlawed, okay? Um, and don't like mages. Anyways, so guys, let's grab some dice. Um, what regional level, like, mega threat do you feel is missing from the Sword Coast? We've kind of had a run over of what exists in the uh, areas in between. What do you feel is missing? Let's roll this. I got a six. Six for me as well. Seven. Uh, we That's got a roll off for roll the two off. of us. Got seven. Nine. Okay, so James, what kind of mega threat is missing from the Sword Coast? Um, based off the last 20 months, some kind of spreading disease. <laughs> rough. Rough. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you. Honestly. It's very rare in any kind of fantasy game you'll see some kind of spreading disease. When you have an entire class that just ignores disease and like with a wave of their hand can cure it, it's it's hard to have a threatening disease and plague. So and make it move quick and make it kill fast. And make you don't move. have enough druids and monks to survive. Oh yeah, 100 percent Yeah. yeah. No, I'm, I'm with you. You on get that. it by on the morning, you die by the afternoon. Oh, 
Yeah. And it's violent. Oh, right? yeah. Like, yeah. And like, it's not violent till the end, and you don't know you have it till the end. It's it's not that slow drag out process. Yeah, no, it's... it's, it's you're walking home from work at 6, and at 6.01, you're bleeding out of every orifice and pore you've got. Gross. Rough. I love it. Brad, what kind of mega threat is missing? Goblinoid host. I noticed. Yeah, there's no, like, there's, named host. There's a couple mentions of, you know, some goblins or goblinoids, but no real host threat in the area. Yeah, for me, it's, it's where's where am I undead at? Like... Where's where's my lich? Where's my demi lich? Right. Yeah, like, you got a little bit of undead in the moors. Yeah, and and in the in the swamps. But like, I I want like I want a demi lich at the top of a mountain. Yeah. Right. Like that's what I want. So uh, I also noticed no mention of mind flare colonies or anything like that either. I mean, you get a couple of them in the in the Icewind Dale. Um, sure. And there are other aberrations at work in certain places. Xanathar. Okay, Xanathar is in Waterdeep. Yeah. So like um and he's he's a he's a fucking beholder. So yeah. I mean it's it's um I guess we should say the Xanathar. The Xanathar, yeah. yes. Yeah. Um so it's um definitely took him out with the gas attack once. Oh did you? Yeah we made a bunch of mustard gas and sealed him in his base till he died. That's a war crime. Yes. But, Actually no it's not because the Geneva Convention doesn't exist in the Sword Coast. Okay, yeah, but also, I mean, we're humans he's playing the Xanathar. The he's the Xanathar. I spent a month of that campaign gathering supplies to make this happen without my DM noticing, and then we walk into the base, and I'm like, "Um, hey guys, you may want to back out." They're like, "What?" And I'm like, "I'm just gonna pour these chemicals together, and then uh, dip out real quick." <laughs> just sitting there like ammonia bleach, closed room, have fun. Yeah. <laughs> oh, jeez. Okay. Um, what? Um, from the outside area, do you guys have a, uh, not Geneva war crime breaking, uh, plot hook or campaign arc that, uh, goes, uh, James? Uh, the Bullywugs are making a god. The Bullywugs are making a god. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Just cause. Just cause. Just cause. Well, you have, because of the spell plague, which we will get to, it, uh, and is a very important part in the history of the Forgotten Realms. Um, you have several gods that have just died. We mentioned Tyr is resurrected, supposedly. Mm -hmm. I, I love the idea that this yeah. is Asmodeus. Just like, yeah, guys, I'm totally Tyr. Yeah, I'm lawful. This works. Yeah. Um, no, the uh, there's been a couple gods that have died and a couple gods that have now come back. We yep. now see a resurgence of Tyr and Mistra are back. So, uh, having a bunch of bullywugs, just like, yeah, we're just gonna make a new one and like. Make it an upstart greater deity. Right? Oh, yeah. Like, like this is this is the god of earth. It's gonna be something super overpowered, but I would give it with the like mentality of a toddler. So if you keep it on track and you keep them happy, the world will be pleased and everything will be good. But you upset them just once, the tantrum they have. Okay, seriously, god of earth fits with this, and then you're an all dwarf party. Yeah. Like, oh, no. <laughs> Just like there's the there's this frog god that is messing with the ground, and that's our shit. <laughs> love it, love it. Uh, for uh, me, an outside plot hook I would I would love to see here is uh, there's these trolls that no one can really clear out. There's got to be a reason why, but it's swarming with trolls. So I want a single session because this is just a little 
well, I guess it's a plot hook, but yeah. you could run this as a one shot. I want espionage into troll lands. I want your entire party to get together and you are sneaking through troll lands and all of the like dozen type of trolls we have, plus whatever weird shit I can make up on the fly, which uh-huh, I'm capable. Um, you have to get in through to figure out what is making the trolls just be this resilient. Like they're resilient by nature, but yeah. like to be completely wiped out and burned and then within days to just pop back. I want to know why. And it is a, if you're in a fight, you're, you've, you're done. You've lost, right? Like trolls will come bounding towards you. You have two turns to get out of this combat and survive. So go from there. For me, it's, I was caught by the break in the tradeway, right? Between the troll spears and the, uh, sorry, between the troll claws and the high moor. Okay. Right. There's this break and it's already a dangerous route, but suddenly nobody's making it through. Why is no, why are there no trade caravans that are able to get through? Any final thoughts on the Sword Coast? We will be hitting the rest of Toriel later. We will be hitting the gods uh, in a nearby future episode, uh, nearly here future episode. So what of the Sword Coast? Uh, Do you guys have any final thoughts there? You have a lot of interesting city states with a lot of ground to cover between them. Yep. Right. You, I think. What the Sword Coast offers is this great contrast between the civilized city-states that are, you know, fairly well built up and established, and then the absolute wilds uh, in between. And so there's a lot of opportunity to really play with the diversity between dealing with civilization, going out in the wilds, having to deal with the trouble out there, and then you somehow have to come back into civilization society and be dealing with courts and high lords Right, you have a lot. Of, you have an opportunity to really play both ends of that spectrum very easily and very quickly. Yeah, uh, for me, I see there's a lot of things that are left half answered, such as the cap on Neverwinter and other things like that. that you can flush out more in your story based on your party. Like I know certain parties that I play with that would love to have it as a piece of engineering marvel that they need to go and maintain. They need to go knock off demons off the bottom. They need to go fix gears and go do these types of things. And I know other parties who would absolutely hate that idea that they didn't solve the problem. Why wasn't it waved away? So being able to play off that with just the information you're able to gather, I think is cool. Cool. Yeah. They've left a lot of open ends, which I really like. Like the the rebuilding of Luskin, which used to be a big antagonist in this. Mm-hmm. The, lo- the local uh, vicinity to Am and Cormier. Like, Cormier is where we get Purple Dragon Knights from. Yeah. So, like, um, the, the... Best class in the game. Best class in the game. <laughs> um, rough. Uh, so, like, I would love to see uh, what we could do with uh, Cormier and them right nearby, right? Um, there is a lot of open ends that you can explore and you should never feel afraid or or intimidated by it because a lot of it is traditional fantasy. So if you got into Dungeons and Dragons because you are a fan of Critical Role or uh, Game of Thrones and you don't quite know the Faerun history like someone who's been playing in Faerun since 2nd edition... Um, don't feel intimidated, man. Like there's so many things you could do in this realm that, um, you could just flavor like it's a little bit of critical role or flavor like it's a little bit of, uh, 
um, Game of Thrones, and it works, right? It kind of covers any kind of fantasy bullshit you want to do, depending on where you're at. Always remember, it's your game, too. Yeah, right? I mean, there's there's nothing saying you can't kill, uh, you know, Lord Never Ember for yep. his transgressions if, yourselves. If you look at Sword Coast Adventures Guide, well, it gives you a really good base, it really gives you options to make the world your own. Yeah. So do that. Take a look at this book, and it... If you don't have any ideas, this will give you tons. Yeah. Well, that'll be it for this discussion on the Sword Coast, but there are a lot of other places of lore in Dungeons & Dragons. So subscribe or follow and check back regularly to see what inspirations and insights we'll have for you in the future. Next week, we'll be taking a good long look at some slithery playable races in Dungeons & Dragons 5e. Humans. Wrong kind of slithery. If you'd like to support us, we have a button on our website at www.itsamimic.com, as well as a store for some awesome merch. We also rely on word of mouth to get news of our podcast out to new people in the community. So please pass the word to everyone you know, and we're available on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, as well as many other podcast apps. Thank you for listening to It's a Mimic, where you never know what you're going to get. Thank you for listening to another It's a Mimic production. Inquiries, shoutouts, requests, and mailbag questions can be sent to info at itsamimic.com. All right, so all that discussed, I have a question for you. As a human being, just yourself, which of these city-states would you be most inclined to live in? Do we want to roll for it? Let's roll for it. I got a three. Eleven. Oh, James and I got to roll off. Roll off again, you two. I will go last. James, lead the way. Neverwinter for me, it seems like the best place to establish yourself and make yourself independently wealthy in the Sword Coast mm-hmm. compared to every other city that's established. Cool. Yeah, it's self-made man. For me, it's Silvery Moon. I think just living in a place that, that that's that kind of magical, that far from the mundane, Yeah, I feel like... Living within my own four walls of my house for the last year and a half has really want me to find something <laughs> a little less mundane and same every day. So I'd want kind of a magical place like Silver. Even. I think elves would have a bad attitude. That's ah, okay. I'm used to bad attitudes. I got two toddlers at home. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, for me, honestly, guys, and 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 this this might actually be a little surprising to everybody. I'd want to I'd want to live in Waterdeep. Um, the amenities around the. The always having what you need nearby, right? And um, I'm a hard worker, so yep. it's it's not like uh, working my way up the uh, chain of command to mm-hmm. eventually, maybe even possibly become a Lord of Waterdeep one day. I mean, I don't have the real level of aspirations, but Waterdeep is by far the safest and most secure town in, That's true. in the Sword Coast. So safe and secure. If I'm there, my family's there. That's the best place for me. Now let's flip that coin. Which one do you not want to live in, James? Oof. Luskin. I was yeah. going to say the same. Luskin. Yeah, Luskin. The werewolf, the werewolf mages. Yeah, no thanks. Oh, no, the harples are great. Uh, no, uh, Luskin. Luskin's a shithole. Luskin, Luskin is the Edmonton of uh, the Sword Coast. Just oh, in snow. It's an armpit. Their hockey team's great, that, though. That's so. a little cruel to Luskin, I feel. Ouch. I mean, I didn't say they were Calgary. Between Amn and the Sea of Moving Ice that have a more narrow focus. Wow, who the hell wrote this?
<laughs> I did. <laughs> anybody. Scary. I'm going to blame Terry. Yeah, I'm going to bl- blame Terry again. Thanks for listening. Bye.